Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry at Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out the Living Room ATL on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. Well, good evening, everyone. Come on, good evening, everyone. How y'all doing? Good. Your belly's full? You ready to go to sleep now? I know. I know. Don't go to sleep on me, though. I need y'all to stay awake. I'm so glad to be here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is April Christina Farmer. Um, As Matt said, I am on staff here at Buckhead Church as the Adult Ministries Environments Director. So basically what that means is I'm over everybody who deals with the care that happens here, uh, whether somebody needs prayer, whether somebody needs counseling, whether someone needs uh, financial assistance, help with learning how to manage their money, all the things that have to do with care. I'm over that department as well as all of our groups so that like you guys are in small groups. Um, Our adults have small groups as well. And so I lead a team, an awesome team of people here, and we get to do that level of service here at Buckhead Church. So I'm super excited about that. Um, I am also a wife to Mr. David Farmer. This is my my boo thing right here. This is my boo thing. Now, he don't like this picture because we're being silly, but that's exactly why I like this picture, because we're being super silly. His name is David, and I I just, I love him to pieces. We'll talk about him later. Um, And then I'm also a mom. I have two sons. I have Joseph to my left here. This is Joseph, my youngest son, and my oldest son, Chris. Um, They are my heart. I love them to life. I have loved them since the day I found out. Well, we'll talk about that later. So anyway, I'm super excited to be here and just excited to be able to share with you a bit of my story, but more so a story um, about uh, freedom, a story about hope. Um, and I, one of the things before I became uh, start working here at Buckhead Church, I was a community-based therapist. So I had the opportunity to go out into the community and provide therapy to people who couldn't necessarily come into our office. And I really loved that job. And one of the pieces of that job that I enjoyed the most was going into the jails and teaching parenting classes. And that was just an awesome privilege for me, just to kind of get past the, the formalities of going through the bars and getting through security and all those types of things. But when I got down in the room, I realized that no no matter how much these bars protected, uh, seemingly protected us from people who had committed these crimes, there were people inside there who had stories who had amazing stories, stories of hurt and pain and disappointment, of, of, of grief and of all kinds of things. And not only did I get to kind of impart into them, but they got to impart into me. And I got to be able to receive from their stories and offer hope. And today we're going to be looking at a story that's in our Bible. We're going to be looking at a story um, that talks about the last resort. What do you do when you feel like you have completely run out of options? And today we're going to talk about a story of a person who had done just that. This person had run out of options. They had run out of all the things that they felt like they could do, they had done, and they felt like they were at their wits end. We're going to look at a story of a person who experienced Jesus as their last resort. Now, there's a common phrase that many of us have heard before, and the phrase says this, desperate times call for desperate measures. Have y'all heard that before? And so we've all heard this before, but how do we really know when a situation is desperate? You know, he said, you'll know. 
You're right. You will know when your situation is desperate. But how do you know that you truly run out of options? How do we really know? And we know that there are various ways and there are differing levels of desperation. And typically, we feel like we've reached a level of desperation. When you start to hear people start sentences like, I am just going to lose it if X, Y, Z. Or I just got to do this or that. Or if I could just accomplish this or do that, my life would be different. That's when we probably feel like we've gotten to this place of desperation. But what we all know is that there are varying levels of desperation. Would you agree? What may be desperate to you may not be desperate to your neighbor. I had a son, for example, who thought he was in a desperate situation, and it was about a girl. Yeah, I know. I figured y'all would chuckle about that. It was about a girl. And so my son uh, (laughs) had the opportunity to go away to a boarding school for high school. So I literally dropped him off to start high school at 14 years old. And while he was there, or the summer before he got to school, he was in this um, enrichment program that summer. I think it was called Breakthrough Atlanta. And so he was in this program, and he met this girl. And I had this really firm rule in my house. If you can't drive, you can't date. Period. If you can't get yourself there, I'm not taking you. That means you ain't quite ready. You have not achieved what you needed to achieve to be able to do that. And so he knew what the rule was, but he had met this girl, and I could see her in my, fa- in my, in my mind. He had met this girl, real sweet girl, and, uh, but he had gone away to school. And this particular weekend, I had to fly out of town to California to do something, and he was coming home. So I told him, I was like, hey, I'm not going to be in town, but feel free to come home. Your uncle's going to be here. Your brother's going to be here. Y'all have a great time, and I'll see you when you get back. And remember my rules. Don't break them. He's like, ah, all right, mom. All right. All right. All right. That's how y'all say it. All right. So I go on my trip, and I'm on my way back that Sunday. And so I call my son, and I said, hey, I know you're already on your way back to Chattanooga. I'm sorry I missed you. How was your weekend? He said, man, I had a great weekend. I was like, really? What'd you do? He said, I hung out with my fam. I hung out with my friends. I had a really good time, and I went to church this morning. Man, church was awesome. I loved it. I was like, that's great. I'm thinking, oh, my baby, just doing so good. And, um, and so I was like, well, that's great. I'm so sorry I missed you. I will definitely see you next trip or next time I come up there to see you. He said, cool, we get off the phone. So then I called my brother who was watching my boys. And I said, hey, you know, how, how was the weekend? How were the boys? He said, man, your boys are straight, man. They had a good time. I dropped Christopher off at the movies to see his girlfriend. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Say, say that again. And he was like, uh, what you talking about? And I said, you did what? He was like, I said, why would you do that? He was like, that boy 15 years old, he can go see a girl. I said, no, he can't. And you know better. You know me enough to know that I don't allow that. So now my son's desperate situation, apparently he was in a desperate situation because he had to see this girl. He was willing to do whatever it took to get to her, even break my rules. So his desperate situation caused a desperate situation for me. So guess what I did? I told my brother, I said, look, I'm going to need you to stay at my house a little bit longer because I'm about to make my way to Chattanooga. So I get in my car from the airport, drive straight up 75, and I told my brother, and don't you call that boy and tell him I'm coming. I need the element of surprise to be on my side. You hear what I'm saying? So I get in my car, and I drive all the way up there, and my son's living in a dorm, and I pull up to the, to the, to the school, and uh, I go in front of the door, and then I call him. He was like, hey, mom, what's up, you know? I said, hey, you know, um, 
did you really have a good weekend? I, I mean, I just wanted to see if there was something that maybe you left out that you want to tell me. You know, giving him an opportunity to come clean. And he was like, no, nah, man, I mean I, I mean, I just hung out with my fam. I hung out with my friends. I went to church this morning. It was really good. I said, okay. I said, I need you to come downstairs now. And he was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? I said, now put my mama voice on. Get downstairs now. I am here. And he knew the fear of God was on that boy's life because mama don't play that. And so he comes downstairs, and I, he's like, Mom, what you doing here? I said, you got something you need to tell me. And he knew he was caught, so my boys know, don't, when you caught, just come on, fess up um, and see if I extend you some grace. But anyway, um, so he owned it, and, you know, he told, you know, told me, he was like, but this is what he said. He said, but, Mom, I just had to see her, Mom. I just had to see her. And we laugh about that situation, but he was in a time of desperation. He was willing to do whatever it took to achieve his goal, which was to see that girl. And so based on that story and even stories that you may have, what we find is this, is that in times of desperation, your level of determination is based on the value placed on what you desire. So, uh, thank you, sugar. So... Apparently, he had placed a high value on seeing this girl. I don't know why, but he did. He had placed a high value on seeing her. And we place value on so many things. We place value on making the dean's list. We place value on success and, and getting our PhDs. We place value on gaining wealth and having successful relationships and being healthy. And we also sometimes take for granted what other people place value on. Things like food and shelter and community and family. But what we realize is that there, is, there are times when your desperate situation, based on the value that you placed on it, you're willing to do whatever it takes to get to it. And today we're going to look at a story in the book of Mark. And the story starts off um, with a, about a guy. His name is Jairus. And Jairus is a synagogue leader. Basically, he's a church leader. And he's identified in Mark chapter 5 as a synagogue leader named Jairus. And his daughter was sick. And so he leaves where he is on behalf of his daughter, and he comes to where Jesus is. And he had heard all these wonderful things about what Jesus had been accomplishing in the town. And so he gets to Jesus, and he falls on his knees, and he says, Rabbi, he says, my daughter is sick. Would you please come with me and heal her? And Jesus, in all of his awesomeness, he says, absolutely, you lead the way. So while they're on their way, there's another story that we're going to talk about today. They are interrupted by the story of a woman who had placed high value on what she needed more than anything. And while we look at her story, we, and we may think she needed one thing, what she truly needed was freedom. And so as we look at this story, there are three key elements that I want us to pay attention to. And these are the three key elements that brought her to her place of freedom. And the first thing we see in her story is what we've already talked about, desperation. She was desperate. And as we look in Mark chapter 5, verse 25, it says this. It says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 
She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And so now let's, let's take a look at this scripture just for a moment and let's kind of dissect her level of desperation. We've already talked about there are levels, but I wanna dig in a bit to her level of desperation. First of all, she's identified in this scripture simply as a woman. Remember I told you about the guy before her that Jesus was following, he was identified by name. His name was Jairus, right? This lady is identified simply as a woman. Watch this. The next identifier of her was with an issue, suffering from blood. So she was identified as a woman with no name, and she was also identified by her condition. And unlike J. Iris, she came by herself. He came on behalf of his daughter to beg God to come and heal her. She didn't have nobody. She was all alone, all by herself, and she came to him. And the other part about this issue uh, that, that kind of highlights her level of desperation was that she was considered unclean. What does that mean? In Hebrew times, back in the day, a person was considered unclean for a lot of various reasons, but because she had this issue of bleeding, she was considered unclean. This means whatever she touches is unclean. If she sat on anything, it was unclean and had to be ceremonially purified. If she touched a person, that person was unclean and had to be ceremonially cleansed. So basically, she was unable to worship in the synagogue. She couldn't go to church. She was ostracized from her community. Why? Because as an unclean woman, nobody wanted to touch her. Nobody wanted to be near her. Nobody wanted to be associated with her. She was basically a social outcast. This was how desperate her situation was. And then on top of that, she was suffering extremely. The Bible says she, was had, she had extreme suffering. So to put it blunt, bluntly, she was broke. She was poor. She had spent everything she had. It said she had spent all she had on many doctors and nothing had changed. She was broke, busted, and disgusted. She was at her wit's end. And she was no better for everything that she had tried to do on her own. So we see her level of desperation. The next thing we see in her story is her faith. This woman had faith that would blow your mind. Let's take a look. It continues and it says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Wow, think about that for a second. All she did was think, if I just get to him, that is some amazing faith. It had nothing to do with what she actually knew, but it had everything to do about what she thought, what she believed on the inside. That was incredible faith. And what she heard about Jesus was so impactful. What she had heard on the street mattered so much to her that it sparked in her a hope, a hope into her desperate situation, which ignited faith. You know, Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. 
So I have a question for you. When was the last time hearing about Jesus increased your faith? I'll take it a step further. When was the last time you sharing about Jesus increased someone else's faith? I mean, it's like reviews. Y'all know what Yelp is, right? Anytime I go out of town or anytime I'm in an area I don't know, I get hungry. Can I get an amen? You get hungry and you want the best food. If you're anything like me, you want the best food. I'll pull out Yelp and I'll find out the best restaurants. I don't go and look up restaurants for catfish and look for the rating that says two. I look for the rating that says five or 4.7. Why? Because somebody else has already tasted and seen that the catfish is good. So I can take their word for it. And the more reviews that are listed next to it, the more confident I am that that catfish might be really good. It's the same thing when you hear about Jesus and what Jesus has done and what he can do. It ignites our faith in who he is. Put it another way. When I grew up, there was this thing we had in our church called testimony service. I know I'm older than all of y'all. But testimony service was this time in the service where if like right now everybody was sitting here, I pulled out a mic. Actually, what's his name? Matt just did testimony service. He did. They have, but this was really official. So like they put a mic out and you could get a line of people just coming up because they wanted to testify. They wanted to tell about what God had done. And everybody couldn't tell their testimony, right? So you had to have an usher or a deacon there talking about, okay, sister, it's over now. You can go sit down. But it was a testimony service. It was about the reviews. They wanted to hear about what happened, just like we heard about the 31 on the test and we heard about the birthdays. We get excited about what we hear. I mean, I'd be excited on the 31 on the test. I'm sorry, 81, I'm so sorry. You did so much better than I gave you credit for. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> But it was those testimonies that encouraged me when I became this woman. Those testimonies were a blessing to me when I became a woman who was suffering with an issue. You see, I grew up in a Christian home and I knew all the right things to do. But what I didn't quite catch along the way was how to really do them. I knew all the laws and I knew what was right and I knew what was wrong. But walking that thing out, nobody really wanted to talk about and so I started making decisions that weren't the best decisions. I started making decisions based on how I felt as opposed to what was true and what was God-honoring. And by the time I was 20 years old, I had the two boys that you saw on that screen. And I remember when I, when I told my oldest son's father um, that I was pregnant, I was in high school, and I remember he was like, the first thing he said to me was, give me a hanger, I'll take it out. That's what he said. I was 16, he was 17. And now looking back, I'm, I'm not mad at him. I mean, he was scared. What was he supposed to do at 17 with a baby? And within two weeks, he had left town. Like, I didn't see him. And so I had my son, and, you know, my parents said, okay, well, you can go ahead and go to college. And I went to Georgia Southern University. I don't care. <laughs> I enjoyed my time at GSU. Anyway, I done already got my degree, y'all pipe down. So, (laughs) 
But when I got to college, I met this football player, and he was real cute to me, and we kind of walked past each other every now and again, and next thing I know, I made decisions I shouldn't have made, and I'm pregnant with my second son. And the same thing repeated itself. April, I don't want no babies. You on your own. And to this day, he has nothing to do with our son, zero. And my son is 25 years old. And so I found myself kind of dealing with a lot of shame and a lot of hurt and a lot of pain because of the decisions that I had made down through the years. And I, but I kept going. I had this faith that I was holding on to. My parents had taught me, April, it's going to be okay. And so all I knew to do was to keep going to church. Okay, I'm going to church. I'm going to church. I got my babies. We graduated from college. We moved up here to Atlanta. We got plugged in. We went to church. We watched Veggie Tales. I taught them all the Bible scriptures I knew. We did the thing. We did what I knew to do. But in the midst of that, I'm still hurting. And I feel like God is supposed to be better than this. What's happening? Why is, the, why is it not changing? Why is my life not transforming the way I heard? But even though things weren't changing, I kept pressing my way. I kept doing what I had to do. And just like this woman, I was desperate. But just like this woman, I had faith. Faith that came by hearing about Jesus down through the years. And I knew that Jesus was all I could cling to. My situation didn't change. I kept waiting for the husband. He didn't show up. And I kept going, thinking that that was going to be the fix. And it's not. But I kept going. And just like this woman, she knew that Jesus was her last resort. She had tried everything. And in her pursuit of Jesus... In faith, she reached out. She pressed through that crowd and she reached out. She didn't care that she was unclean. She didn't care who she touched on her way. She knew that she had to get to Jesus. And she reached out and she touched him. And in verse 29, it says this. It says, immediately after she touched him, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Just when you think her story is over, because that is an amazing finish, is it not? But just when you think her story is over, Mark blesses us with this final piece, this final scene. Now we've seen her level of desperation and we've seen her faith on display, but Jesus takes it a step further and demonstrates one final component in her story. And it's the truth. In verse 30, it says this, so that once Jesus realized power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him, the whole truth. Now, as I read this, I'm asking, why is she trembling with fear? But think about the implications of what can happen. She's an unclean woman and Jesus is a rabbi. What will he do to me if he finds out that I'm an unclean woman? How will he respond to me if I tell him everything? What about the people who realize, wait a minute, she touched me on her way to him. What about the people? They could pick up stones and try to kill her. These implications were huge. And then I asked myself this question, why would Jesus even put her in that position? Why would Jesus put her on front street like that? And you would think it was just, it was just dumb to do. But there was something special about this woman's touch. 
Jesus had to bring everybody to the attention of this touch. This wasn't the everyday normal crowd touch because you heard them say that, Jesus, what are you talking about? There's people touching you everywhere. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. There's something special about this touch. And everybody needs to know about this one. Jesus knew he set her up to tell her story. He set her up to tell her testimony, to tell the whole entire truth. Not just for him, but for the crowd. For the crowd, so that it would increase their faith. How else, how else would they know about what Jesus could do if she didn't stop and tell her story? And then you think about her. He wanted her to tell her story for her too. Think about the courage it took for her to stop and tell that story. To share it with everybody, what Jesus had done. It took courage. And how would anybody know how good God really is if she didn't have that opportunity to share that? And I love Jesus' response to her. In verse 34, it says, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He didn't say unclean woman. He didn't say woman with an issue of blood. He called her daughter. He changed her identity instantly. Instantly changed her identity. And not only did he heal her body, but he freed her mind, body, and soul. For you to tell the whole truth means you don't care what anybody else has to say. I don't care. I need this more than I care about anything else. And just like her in this story, I have that same moment that happened for me. I told you guys I kept going to church, and in about 2010, I was a worship director at a church locally. And I took our team to Houston, Texas for an Israel, Israel Houghton conference. Y'all know who Israel Houghton is? Lord, you are good on your mercy. Yeah, y'all don't know nothing about them bad songs. Anyway. So we went to this conference, right, and I love Israel Houghton. I love the energy. All the lights were up just like it is here. The lights were up and everything was going well. And so then all of a sudden he tells everybody to sit down and the lights go low and he gets real calm and real quiet. And he starts to share this song that had not come out yet. And I'm sitting there with my friends and my fellow teammates and all these strangers around. And he pulls out a guitar. It's just him and a guitar and maybe a cajon, real, real nice acoustic set. And he started singing this song, and he said, From first to last, you knew my days. Future and past, you saw everything. When I would fail, when I would win, when I would need grace to start again. See, nothing surprises you. Nothing surprises you about me, Jesus. Nothing that I could do. Nothing could separate you from me, Lord. You see me, you know me, you love me madly. And I'm sitting there with my friends and all these people. And this knot starts welling up in my throat. And I'm like, oh, God, help me keep it together. And then he sings the next part of the song. And he says, you're not mad at me. You're not mad at me. You're more than enough. And you're madly in love with me. And this girl, <gasps> 
bawled my eyes out. And I didn't care anymore. I didn't care who knew that I got knocked up at 16 years old. I didn't care if anybody knew that I was raising two kids by myself. I didn't care if anybody knew that I had a fornication problem. Because Jesus said, daughter, you're diligently going to church. You're faithfully serving in ministry. You're diligently going and leading worship and lifting your hands and saying, Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed. Be freed. I was like, well, what do you mean be free? Be free. Walk in your freedom. It's no magic formula. When the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. He's saying, don't be afraid about what anybody has to say. Your creator says you are free. So walk in that freedom. And my prayer for you today, daughter and son, is that you hear God saying the same thing to you. Be free. The Bible tells us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And once we are cleansed, he gives us the ability by his Holy Spirit to walk in freedom. And it's not every day that it's going to be super easy. But what you have to constantly remember is that he has set you free. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to sin and temptation. I am a child of God. I don't have to submit to the wills of my flesh. I am a child of God. And one of my favorite scriptures, I think I shared this in our small group, is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. But along with the temptation, he didn't say it was going to go away, with the temptation, he will give you what you need to be able to endure it, a way of escape. It's always there. And so God wants nothing more for you today than to be free. So if you already know Jesus, if you've already walked into a relationship with him, if you've already said, Lord, I believe in you, I, I want you to lead my life, and I'm, I'm struggling with it, it's hard, God. I want to make the right decisions. Maybe you've got an identity that somebody's given you because of something that you've done in your past. Maybe you just can't shake it off. I'm here to tell you today, be free. God wants you to be free. And not only does he want you to be free, I want to challenge you to tell somebody about the freedom that God has given you. Every time I share my story, I'm more free. I don't care what y'all know about me. Because you know why? It's who I was. No, 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 no. Let me correct that. It's what I did. It was never who I was. So I want to give you an invitation today. We're going to sing a song. And I want to give you an invitation today to make a decision to press your way through the crowd. To the, through the crowd of shame, through the crowd of guilt, through the crowd of, 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 of false identity and labels, make your way to Jesus today and allow him to transform your life, to reveal to you how free you really truly are. And if there's anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus, 
I want to tell you today that God wants to make you free. He not only wants to be your last resort, but he also wants to be your launching pad into the rest of your life if you let him. If you let him. So we're going to sing this song. After I pray, I'm going to pray. And I don't want you to just stand up because you know a song is here, and that's what we do in church when the music starts playing, you stand up. I want you to sit, and I want you to listen, and I want you to hear the words, and I want you to put yourself at the feet of Jesus. Tell him your whole truth. Be willing to give it all up to him and let him free you. And as you decide to walk in that freedom, I want you to stand up and worship the God who frees you. Would you do that with me today? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for your truth. We thank you so much for the freedom that you give us, the freedom that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ, that he came and he paid the penalty. He paid the price for us to be free. We don't have to be guilty and, and feel shame for the things that we've done because you have set us free. So God, I pray today that as we worship you in these next few moments, that you would help us to see just how free you have made us. And that even if we don't feel it, that we take the step in faith knowing that you have freed us because you told us that we are free. So Father, do what only you can redeem, free, set free in this place today. And God, as we hear you, as we, as we sing to you, as we run to you, we know that your arms are wide open. Embrace us as we embrace you. And let us not leave here the same that way that we came. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at the Living Room ATL. Remember TLR fam, we love you, we're for you, and we'll see you next time.